SCORE Innovation Podcast. Welcome to the SCORE Innovation Podcast channel for a new property and casualty episode. My name is Maura Haynes. I am the U.S. casualty team leader. And with me today, we have Amal Laurent, casualty lead for the accumulation team, and Steven Strauss, U.S. general liability deputy team leader. And today, we will be your hosts. As one of the world's largest reinsurers, SCORE provides insurance companies with diverse and innovative solutions focused on the art and the science of risk. Let's dive into today's topic, casualty aggregation. Good morning, everybody. Hello, Maura. Hello, Maura. So let's just kick it off with this very broad question. Why should we worry about casualty aggregation these days? A great question. I'm going to start off and explain a little bit of the history that I've gone through as my 30 years of underwriting casualty business. 30 years ago with asbestos, we always worried from a casualty underwriting perspective of what was the the next large event out there or large contagion, large set of losses that could severely impact our profitability. And in my old desk was a file, paper file, taking newspaper articles, uh, pieces off of the internet that we would, you know, monitor and explore and research that were things that could potentially hit our casualty policies across the United States, across the world, and, and, and exploring and trying to get more information of what these casualty contagions out there and how bad they were and how they were impacting our losses and our claims. So I remember those files, Steve. <laughs> I think you you made me create a couple and do some researches on a couple of them as well. But yes, uh, the, they were it was a very much a, uh, of gathering this information and uh, and sharing the information with the clients. So we've we've gone we've come a long way since the days of our paper files. Absolutely true that. So any mall can tell you that we have new products out there that are uh, capturing these casualty aggregates and and looking at these contagions and looking how we view them as you know what what potentially for this portfolio or that portfolio can potentially hit us. Imal? Yes, uh, I mean you know in the past few years we've actually seen a, a number of large-scale casualty catastrophe uh, reaching you know some of them reaching multi-billion dollar losses. I mean there was litigation against Monsanto over glyphosate uh, using product like Roundup. We had a uh, you know litigation against JNJ over talc and it's using baby powder. Uh, we've seen a number of litigation related to opioids against pharmaceuticals and distributors. We've even seen more recently uh, a whole new set of uh, litigation around the PFAS chemicals and you know litigations over firefighting foam uh, causing water damage and bodily injury among firefighters. So there's been very, you know, there's been a number of well-known, you know, mass litigation events that have come recently, uh, leading to casualty accumulation. Thank you for that, Amal, and thank you for the background, Steve. I mean, we have been doing this manually. Our our colleagues on the property side, these underwriters, have had the luxury of having much more sophisticated models to support them for a longer time. What are we doing on the casualty side to try to remediate? 
Sure. Let, let me take. Uh, let me just uh, mention maybe two key reasons for the lag in the casualty catastrophe models uh, when compared to property cat, or you know, the, the lack of data available, particularly uh, when the product or the commercial activities that have led to the liability events uh, are typically discontinued. And also, you can kind of point to the complexity of modeling uh, dynamic process like the, the legal system. So, uh, and, and today with, with the advances in technology and the improved data, uh, we have already a number of vendors offering casualty cat models. Um, one of those firms that we've partnered with is Pretty Cat, which uh, offers a forward-looking emerging risk model for let, latent chemical bodily injury. Uh, and by latent bodily injury, I mean uh, injuries that someone has been exposed to through exposure to a chemical today or in the past and for which uh, damages do not manifest until many years down the road. So, you know, 20, 30 years down the road. So in other words, substances that are thought to be safe today and that could, you know, cause issues uh, in the future. And so Pretty Cat's model essentially relies on scientific literature to identify early signs of uh, future litigation trends. Uh, and you know, it's, science is really key for uh, any litigation uh, to get traction, particularly here in the US, where uh, the court system requires scientific evidence linking a substance to, uh, to the bodily injury. Uh, and so those, those scientific articles contains uh, critical information related to the commercial activities or the commercial products that are causing the bodily harm or the you know, property damage or environmental damage. Uh, and essentially, Predicat, using data mining techniques and artificial intelligence, they've been able to convert that information into an event set uh, of potential future mass litigation events. And Mora, what's great about this from a casually underwriting perspective is that drawer that was fear and of worry for underwriters, of fearing systemic risk across classes, we can quantify it now. Now we are in early stages of the casualty aggregation tracking and methodology, but it's gonna keep getting re more refined as Imal was saying, and that we would now stratify and prioritize what part of the portfolio potentially can give us headaches and cause. And then we can also talk to our reinsurance clients and have meaningful conversations with them I always say, looking at predicate and you know, talking to Imal that we're somewhere around the early 2000s for casualty aggregations, while on the property side, you know, they're more advanced. But I'm very hopeful that in the near future that we are gonna get even more refined and more dialed in to these systemic loss problems or casualty losses on the horizon. And for us to be more adequately prepared to take them on from an underwriting perspective, instead of just having this nightmare drawer in my old desk. I, yeah, Steve, I mean, I think the discussions that we've had these last couple of months or even years with Imal, yourself, the underwriters, just internally within SCORE to understand these potential systemic losses that are gonna be coming up or potentially could be coming up in the industry has been eye-opening for for us to understand our portfolio where are we exposed but also to share this with our clients we see 
a lot of loss activity in different areas. We saw it with the opioids. We discussed this with claims, but understanding our portfolio, understanding these exposures and sharing that with our clients so we can, as an industry, underwrite this better is key. And I know their chief risk manager or CUO at those companies hear all the different reinsurance questions and they wonder, you know, which one should they prioritize for themselves? And with Predicat and with further investigation and further discussions, we can prioritize that list of concerns with them for their portfolio. And I think it's a, also a really helpful internal tool for our referral process and understanding what should we put more focus into and, and you know, for which is each trigger of equal weight. And Iman will tell us they're not. And with the help of our models and and predicate. Yeah, and then just to kind of add on to that, I, I would say what what's the biggest advantage of those casualty cat models is that they provide us with a framework that's transparent, that can help us manage uh, accumulation risk in, in in a way that's similar to property cat uh, models, and essentially in in in, in, in giving us the ability to identify the, the drivers, to quantify the, the tail risk, and really understand what accounts are contributing to the uh, tail risk. And that's, you know, in comparison to, as you mentioned, you know, individual scenarios, which can have, you know, a very large number where, you know, if you, you make some small changes to the specification of the scenario itself, you can have a completely different view of the riskiness of the account. And that's the biggest advantage, I think, that those tools provide. So, as risk takers, whether it's as a reinsurance risk taker or a primary risk taker, what do you think are some of the, the potential risks of delaying the adoption of these models and the output that they provide? Yes, I mean, uh, there's been an increased level of attention paid to, to casualty catastrophe risk modeling. And, and, you know, we've seen certainly both on the rating agency side and the regulators uh, asking more about uh, casualty catastrophe uh, modeling and you know the rating agencies are already reflecting uh, those uh, capabilities in their rating process so the trend you know will continue uh, and there's a you know a long ramp up to comply with those requirements and I, I think they could lead to a risk of fair selection from competitors that would be utilizing those models to to start quote unquote cleaning the, the casualty portfolio I would I would also add Mora that capital and regulators, will not allow you know, the luxury of not knowing what's in their portfolio. When large casualty catastrophes happen, for example, the shooting at Mandalay Bay, you need to be able to answer your CEO, your stockholders. What's your exposure for that event? What's your estimated potential loss for that event? And we need to be able to answer and quantitate those answers uh, more effectively and more precisely. I agree, Steve. I think we have, uh, and I often call them the fire drills after a large event that could potentially expose our portfolio, calling Amal and calling you and trying to quantify exactly how much of that is going to be an impact for SCORE. But also, in some cases, in, in the case of Mandalay Bay, we went ahead and dialed up our, our brokers and reached out to our clients to see if the exposure that we were figuring out was there based on the border rows and the data that we were collecting was still on their portfolios. And in some cases, we were just, you know, bringing light to, unfortunately, have, you know, 
and a discussion that was not something that everybody wanted. But um, with regards, saw, to I'm sorry to interrupt you, but and we saw more, right? Mm -hmm. Where we we can gauge our 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 customers of how quickly and how at their fingertips they had that information or they mm -hmm. understood that information. Let's go back to to the actual utilization of, of Predicat. Um, understanding how how our portfolio is behaving, even when we're doing our internal referrals and how a client's portfolio will add to the chemical exposure that we have not only here in the US treaty uh, portfolio, but also in the Americas and even globally. We are a global reinsurer. We have exposures to all kinds of you know, systemic losses from all over the world. So understanding that information as we're gathering in, in underwriting is key because when we send up the referrals up to underwriting management, then we have to say we understand our portfolio, but we also understand how it impacts the broader score portfolio. If I may, Maura, let me give you an example. And again, I don't I don't know if this addressed that question um, or concern, but for example, hydraulic fracking was a huge uh, concern and worry six years ago of where, and it still is, where there was widespread concern among the population of where people were fracking through aquifers, water aquifers. And Predicate was able to give us a lot more detail on the lawsuits and on the science and where the potential problem was in the oil and gas uh, industry. Shallow fracking and, and water uh, penetrate or and possible uh, contamination of the water aquifers was the major problem. With the amount of care that the oil and gas companies did through uh, through fracking, it had not become a huge casualty loss event for us so far. And when we were doing our underwriting in the last five years, when we were asking very tough questions, you know, to our clients. Predicate helped us refine those questions and understand the risk more deeply and where it potentially can be, you know, a potential adverse problem for us. Did that, would that example help? Ah, oh, certainly. So Imal, maybe you can share with us how do you find your interaction with underwriters as you are becoming so familiar with these tools and you are aggregating this data from all over the world? What's the value that you bring to us and subsequently to our clients? I think I would say that the, the main things in, you know, in, in my interaction with the underwriters is just kind of raising the awareness of, you know, from the data capture, the importance of, of kind of getting certain uh, risk attributes and how they're being utilized, you know, downstream and in, in, in feeding those models to, you know, uh, outputs directly from, from the model, how to understand and really prioritize uh, the information that are coming from the tools. And particularly, you know, I think what those tools provide us is, is a way to prioritize the area of risk that are more likely to lead to, to large losses for or to have larger contribution to our portfolio kind of redirect the underwriters in areas that are, are of, of concern. So Steve, a qu question for you. 
what can we bring to some of our regional clients? What's the value that our our utilization of a tool like Predicat or our analysis of an overall systemic possible, you know, new systemic loss can come to the industry? What can we bring to those regional clients? Well, good question, Maura. I would say when you're in a small or regional company or a mid-sized company, those those firms don't have research and development or people are assigned to, you know, specifically do, you know, tons of research. And Predicate has taken a wide scope, a wide stretch of scientific, of, of lawsuit, uh, you know, of gauging all the lawsuits throughout the country. And it's a just a huge, you know, library of information that we can bring to bear in the, into the conversation and maybe even just to make them aware of certain contagions potentially in their portfolio. I think a lot of what we bring to the table is to start opening our eyes to the discussions of, of the potential exposures out there. We don't have the answers. We're kind of reading into the future, but we are we're having, you know, bringing topics up of things that could potentially be exposing their portfolios, sharing the information of what we see on these tools and what these tools are telling us, bringing also the broader perspective of what we see in the marketplace, not only within the United States, but also globally. And that is the probably the most powerful thing that we can bring to a risk manager or to a chief underwriting officer to just to trigger the discussion of what is the intent? What is the intent of what you want to cover? Yeah, I think that that's you're totally right about that in terms of the fact that it really helps you engage in conversation that are really going after the underlying risk level. I mean, I, I know we we keep talking about underwriting, but there's also a claims component to all these discussions, right? Uh, as we identify potential new exposures, we can reach out to our claims colleagues and we can say, we know we can ask them, are you seeing anything of the sort? Are you starting to, you know, when the whole opioids issue started to come up, they were, they started to track it. And then we continue to have those discussions and we continue to update each other and we continue to update the marketplace. So it's not just an underwriting thing. It's not just a claims thing. It's not just a risk management kind of thing. I think it's just all comes, comes together uh, in this, complex casualty world that we see out there. Absolutely from and you can include actuarial, right? Which is, you know, the combination of all the of those disciplines and, and looking and you know, looking at the past and the most recent past and possible frequency that we're seeing from a number of these, you know, possible troubled spots and troubled areas. And what do we do and how do we price for that going forward into the future with the input of claims, with the input of predicate and their and their matrix and looking at the legal uh, lawsuits out there for whatever contagion we're talking about. Now it's the, the future of underwriting, the future of risk taking is taking large amounts of data and putting dashboards together that are relevant and that we can make decisions from and that we can not just be paralyzed by analysis paralysis right, that we can move forward in an informed fashion, in an educated fashion, and in a risk-taking fashion of what we're comfortable with, what our capital is comfortable with, and to get the proper return for the risk that we're taking on. Steve, Amal, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.
you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We're always happy to talk to our clients, talk to our brokers, to share our knowledge with the marketplace. When people hear that, you know, we are part and we're focused on the art and the science of risk, we mean it. It is in our DNA and we work every day to better understand uh, our portfolio, our exposures and what's to come. Thank you to all of our guests for joining today. You can subscribe to the Score Innovation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other audio platforms, and be our first listener to new episodes. If you want to share your insights with us, then send us a message at scorepodcast at score.com. Stay tuned and see you at the next episode of Score Innovation Podcast.